0: This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. Last week on the podcast, we spoke about the best bike sessions for 2022, but for all the triathletes, what about the best swim and run sessions? And based on the analysis of our own athletes, what have we concluded are the most valuable swim and run sessions for you to be doing? What sessions can we say have given our athletes the most improvement? We're going to discuss the key sessions you need to be doing if you want to improve faster this year in the swim and bike leg. Dad, as always, welcome to the episode. What are you grateful for this week?
1: Thanks, George. Um, yeah, and it's funny, we are just discussing... Um the winter months of training and whether you should continue swimming or not. Um, so it'll, it's a really good topic. Yep. Um, what am I grateful for? Uh, yeah, over the last probably two or three weeks uh, I've had the pleasure of riding my new Giant Propel um, and it's been um, unbelievably custom spray painted in the Trivelo colors and it brings me great joy and I'm very grateful for the people who've organized that for me um, and Giant Australia have done an unbelievable job with uh with the the bike that I'm riding and it uh it is such a thing that I look forward to now riding that bike. Um, you know, anytime you get a new bike is fun, but uh but especially one that's painted in your colours, you you feel very pro and matchy matchy and uh so I'm very grateful for that. So thank you.
0: I might be biased, but it is the prettiest bike I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh if you haven't seen it, go check out our Instagram, we'll chuck a photo up of what the bike looks like. It looks as, as slick as ever. Uh, and if you see someone riding a Trivello coloured bike, you know it is the Supercoach. So <laughs> make sure you wave. My gratitude. Oh, well, someone stole my bike. That could be the other. Oh thing. yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they're not in Trivello colours on a Trivello bike. <laughs> uh, my gratitude this week is uh, a funny one. I'm getting my wisdom teeth out next week, and I was actually complaining to you on the phone about how it's costing me an arm and a leg. And I thought, well, I have to, I have to swap that, and I have to be grateful that I have access to such good care and. The fact that I can have this kind of surgery and be looked after, um, I do want to switch that because I really was complaining about the cost of it, um, you know, what's the point of having private health if it still costs you an arm and a leg but um, no, I do want to switch it and say I'm grateful that uh, it's all a smooth process and I can go in and get all my wisdom teeth taken out and uh, and feel comfortable and safe that I'm, I'm being looked after.
1: Yeah and look, there's thousands of people around the world who have got no access to exactly. that and, uh, and they would give an arm and a leg to have no pain in their
0: mouth. Yes, exactly. I did think that when I, when I first went to the dentist because I woke up just with the worst uh, pain in my mouth, I yeah. went to the dentist and um, they explained, oh, you have some teeth are coming through, you need to go book in. And I said, well, oh, how, how long is this process going to take before like booking in, seeing the surgeon, getting the surgery? And they said, I can take a few months. <laughs> and I thought, I have to go through this pain for a few months. And they said, oh, no, we'll give you strong painkillers and then the pain subsides. They said normally it comes around every few days. Might last a little bit. You take the painkillers; it goes away, and that's exactly what's happened. Sometimes it comes on for a few days, but I'm just so thankful for the painkillers as well, just to get through those few days. So, double gratitude there. Before we get into the actual topic of today, uh, can you tell the listeners the story of what you just told me off air? We were just chatting before this podcast because you really had to take some of your own advice and swallow a bit of a bitter pill today. So, can you explain the whole process of uh, of, of what happened today and and taking your own advice?
1: Yeah, well, going on from uh, what happened at. Uh the previous couple of podcasts where we've explained um, what our nationals campaign went and how the post uh, post analysis and things that we didn't do so well in the training program and anyway, so as I said at the time, it's extremely motivating to me to to make sure that from this point, from that point on, which was now two weeks ago, that I'm really concentrating um, on trying to do things a lot better and um, take my own advice. So. Um, unfortunately, on the Sunday morning, I woke up with vertigo, which for those people who've had vertigo, is not a pleasant experience and um, periods of five or six hours of uh, the room spinning and you, you uncontrollable vomiting, um, headache, um, and you just can't function.
0: Not Yeah, this is not just a little bit of vertigo. This is
1: debilitating. No. <laughs> Last time I ended up in an ambulance because um, yeah. I didn't really understand what was going on, yeah. um, but now... Uh, your brother, Matt, who's a physio, explained to me what exercises I need to do uh, to try and get my balance back in uh, shape so that I don't feel like the room's spinning. This is all part of the story that I'm mm-hmm. trying to build and and it's it could be brought on by anything. No one really understands. It could be a, a virus. Um, this could be an imbalance. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, it's in, an inner ear issue um, for seeing where the horizon is level or not. Um, and it's a really weird experience when the room won't stop rolling. Um, so and
0: Matt's, Matt's exercises, uh, he explained it. There's basically crystals in your, in your ear that, are, um, that keep you balanced and the exercises that getting vertigo because they're unbalanced, the exercises help balance those crystals. That's
1: right. So it, it's a bit of a bit of an episode. Anyway, it took about five, six hours of this before, before I could actually see the room stopping from, from moving and I could function again um, as a normal human being because you actually feel like... You want to die? It's that. It, it's that debilitating. And those who've experienced it know what I'm talking about. And there's extreme levels, and I don't know where I sit on it, but uh, I felt like I was a bit of a wuss. But, um, but I definitely struggled with it. Um, anyway, I haven't been riding so well since then. I haven't really trained that much, and that's one of the things that happens. You know, you get motivated, and then just a slight, where you know. One of our other guys, Tim, who's been on the podcast, got hit by a car on Sunday. So you know, there's deviations in your journey, isn't there? That uh, that are unexpected and, and sometimes unexplained. Um, so so I had to really uh, back off a little bit, and so I I prepared myself to do two uh, threshold sessions or three in a row, one one every week, um, where um, I was riding between 20 and 30 minutes at threshold. That was my my first block of training um, on one of the days, and last week. Uh, really happy with the result, um, Back, you know, numbers are quite low still, but um, could feel this progress, and so this week I was really looking forward to it, and uh, so this morning I jumped on with my plan um, of what I was going to do, and instantly um, I felt that it was almost impossible to match last week's numbers, so I had to uh, downgrade my expectation as I was writing in the first five minutes to, okay, I'm going to stick with Instead of it being 290, it's going to be, at that stage, it was 275, which is a long way off where I was supposed to be. But anyway, I thought I'll just persevere and try to maintain that. And uh, eventually, 270 became hard after 10 minutes, and I didn't think I could get through that it was a 25-minute, uh, I was in a race, actually, a swift individual time trial race, and by the time I got to 15 minutes, there was no way I could f- finish the race. Um, I was going to try to get to 20 minutes if I could, and I turned it into a sub-threshold session because I was riding at 250 watts by this time. And I, all of the time, I was thinking, this virus has really done something to me from Sunday. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm really under the, under the, the, uh, the. Under the pump yeah. here? <laughs> pump of, of, you know, the, it hasn't left my system, uh, and that's why I'm not riding. And so, I, you know, I accepted that and, and just tried to make the best of it. Uh, anyway, I got to 20 minutes, nearly killed me. Um,
0: By the um, end, you were, you were just, you were yeah. considered holding 260. Yeah.
1: Well, I, you know, I was down in the 250s, but mm-hmm. my heart rate was up like I was doing 300. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at the same heart rate as it was the week before. Um, but it was agony. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was nowhere near those numbers. Anyway, so the next three or four minutes, I was just debating about the virus and whether I should be doing this intensity session or not and whether I started too soon. It is. It is Wednesday, and um, you know I've had three easy days, so I thought I would be okay, and maybe not. Um, Anyway, so I I also thought that you know I might just check my calibration halfway through the ride, and even though I checked it before I started, but because I've got three bikes and I've got a new bike, I didn't do my preparation properly and write down the calibration number for the three different bikes um, because I've added a new bike and my memory is not that. Uh, details for what calibration number is for what bike, and I sort th- of thought that was close enough. Anyway, I recalibrated it, and then it, then it came back to 116, which is the number I know is my time trial bike, which I should have known before I started because it read 137, <laughs> and I didn't think twice about it. Um, and I should have. That was the mistake I made. That was my error. And
0: so, really, you didn't realise, but the calibration was 20 watts off.
1: Yeah, you know, some percentage off. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it, literally twenty or thirty watts off. Yeah. Um, and so I was actually riding uh, at two ninety in the first two or three minutes instead of where I was at two seventy, or even two ninety five. Yes. Um. So. Yeah. So no wonder my heart rate went high straight away, and I thought that was a virus. So, <laughs> things in my head were playing tricks on me. Uh, based on what I was seeing on the screen and I looked at the number and I jumped back on the bike and just thought, I'm going to do one minute at 260 because that was agony four minutes ago mm-hmm. and it felt like a piece of cake mm-hmm. and I just thought, right, I'm pushing lap and I'm going <laughs> for another 20 minutes. This
0: is the funniest part of the <laughs> so, story to me.
1: <laughs> so i would already done 20 minutes of the hardest thing i had done for a long time and clearly I was riding at 290, not yep. 270. Um, so I should have been happy with that at that point and left it at that But um, I just wanted to see what I could do. So I lined up for another 20 minutes. I wasn't in a race this time. I was just doing it myself. And before I knew it, I was able to ride 275, 280, 285, 290. I finished at 300, 305. Mm-hmm. At the 20 minutes, I was strong as. Mm-hmm. And it just made me realize um, how you, your mind can play tricks on, on what you're seeing. Because um, what you're seeing is, uh, is untrue. It's not real. Mm-hmm. It's wrong. But that, that was my fault as well. Mm. What I was seeing was my fault, but it was false data,
0: mm.
1: and and therefore I was looking for reasons as to why this is happening, and they're valid. Mm. But the the reason was the calibration, mm. not the virus, mm. not the vertigo, not that I'm I'm in great form. I just proved it because I just mm. did two twenty minute threshold efforts. I did forty minutes of threshold, mm. um, and I I actually wanted to do the twenty minutes to prove to my brain that. I can overcome this, mm-hmm. and I can do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I halfway through this the, the morning session, I was thinking how crap I'm going, and then by the time I finished, I'm so ecstatic I've done two 20 20-minute threshold if it's not something I'd recommend you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, what a mind shift in my my uh, post-race analysis of going from what am I going to do about my form to I'm really happy with how I'm progressing mm. and it was. Really, all to do with how my brain was responding to what it was seeing.
0: It took great self awareness to be able to really uh, figure out what was happening. Because for most people, if an athlete called you and told you that story straight away, you'd say you didn't calibrate your bike, did you? But you did calibrate your bike, but just weren't. You didn't have the data down of whether that was the calibration was actually right or not. But uh, you could have finished that and just thrown in the towel and gone, "What the f is wrong with me?" And maybe it has to be the virus. But yeah, it took a lot of awareness to. Recalibrate, retest. You do that extra minute just to see how you feel, and then the guts to do another twenty-minute uh, test. And and as you said, had it been um, out on the velodrome, for example, you would have known straight away that the watts were off because your speed would have been fine.
1: Yeah, the speed would have been you know around 44, 45 k's an hour. And I know that whether I'm riding twenty watts or six hundred watts, that's what's important. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so because I'm on the trainer,
0: the speed means nothing on. And I'm
1: seeing day. Swift speed. I don't really. Yeah. It looked it looked like it was going well but yeah. um but I don't trust that speed yeah. thing, and it depends on the bike you're riding and swift and all yeah. those all those variations yeah. so so that wasn't really you know normally outdoors you would get an indication
0: yeah but it's um, a, it's a great story because you do get athletes uh, calling you up uh, all the time after a test and something's gone wrong, and they're in full panic mode, and uh, you've really got to look at everything first before you uh, panic and um as we always say with the post race analysis, the post session analysis, or post FTP test analysis, uh, look at all the facts to figure out what's really happened, not just jump to the conclusion that, oh, I'm in crap form.
1: Yeah. And another example would be in the uh, triathlon races where the experience I had a couple of weeks ago, I think we mentioned where I was passing the field uh, because we started last in the group um, as uh, Aqua Bike, you start last with the teams. And so literally I'm riding past people and I'm getting a lot of, Uh, dirty air because there's thousands of riders on the road and and that in itself makes it easier to ride fast for lower power and that took me four minutes to work out that I was literally 20 watts lower than my power should have been yet my average speed was perfect Mm -hmm. and then I was absolutely able to reconcile that in my brain to say okay 260 watts equals 42 to 43 k's an hour, that's fine today. 260 watts is the number cause, because I'm continually coming up behind people where I'm getting a draft effect every five seconds for, for two seconds mm-hmm. and going around them and going up to the next person and that you know, you, you're getting a false power reading yep. because of the amount of people on the course. Yep. You're not drafting because I'm riding past people. There's no draft there for me. It's just that there's dirty air mm-hmm. the whole bike course. So, so you need to take that into consideration Um, when you're in a race because if you're dead set stuck on riding 280 and you're seeing 260, you're going to ride harder, which means you're going to blow yourself up. Mm. So, therefore, you need to have all this other information. So, the saving grace was my average speed.
0: Absolutely. So on that note, let's get into the actual topic of today and let's start with the swim. You know, What do you need to be doing uh, to make sure you are doing the best swim sessions for the year? What have we really uh, noticed can make the biggest and uh, greatest benefit to you if um, you want to make sure you're maximizing any sessions you're doing in the pool. That's especially a good question for our Trivello athletes because we do as minimal swim sessions as possible because we believe in our, our hypothesis is there's much more to gain in the bike and run and uh, we would rather athletes not do four swim sessions a week and we'd rather than get more time uh, gains in their bike and running sessions. So what do you need to be doing uh, throughout the week swim-wise? I just want to add
1: the reason we do that is because most people that we coach are age groupers and they're not professional and they don't have all day to train. So when people are time poor, they need to prioritize. And the biggest gains are on the bike and the the run and that's where you need to spend the most of your time. You still need to do swimming training um, but you know if you're short on time, what has to go? Something has to go. So let's let's take away less swim sessions because that's got the least value in terms of your improvement overall in a triathlon. You can improve as a swimmer by swimming a lot more um, but your overall triathlon result won't improve that much by spending triple the time swimming as compared to triple the time riding or running so that is important to understand
0: absolutely <laughs> and that, that it, you know, the advice would be different for a professional the advice would even be different for an elite age grouper who uh, is trying to maximize time absolutely and, and they have more time to train Yep. Yeah. So,
1: so we're, we're basing our, our information that we're trying to get across today on two swim sessions and so what's going to give you the best bang for your buck in those two swim sessions so let's just break it down I really believe you need to be doing lots of Fast intervals, short fast intervals, where A, you can hold your form and not lose your form. When you're swimming short and fast, you can maintain it for 25 meters, 30, 50 meters, 100 meters, up to 200 meters. You can hold your form with swimming quite quickly. Once you go past 200 meters, it becomes more of an aerobic, and it's still an aerobic effort at 200 meters, but, but it, it's more aerobically muscular. Um, fatigue that you're, you're experiencing because of the fitness factor rather than the cardiovascular factor. So, so we want to practice swimming fast with good form. And so if you did just long, straightforward, 1500 straight or 2000 meters straight, your form would fall away. Um, you're not swimming fast anyway. You're, you're getting an endurance session out of it, but you're not practicing good form. Um, when you swim fast, you swim with good form. Um, And you need to have a rest so you can keep doing the good form. So, that's why you swim shorter. Um, So, that is one session that needs to be in your program. Short, hard, good form sessions that are going to give you uh, the high cardio and not losing the form in in
0: the process. But the biggest change we've made to that is that this session isn't full of just intervals. In fact, it's now and we've we've definitely made this change uh, over the last period is almost majority drills than intervals.
1: Yeah, so there's two aspects to swimming. There's the skill acquisition, which is the better that you have a technique, the faster you will swim. And the second point is the fitter you are, generally the faster you will swim because you can hold your form um, and stay swimming the same pace. So you need to develop two things. You need to develop your swimming fitness, but you need to develop your swimming technique and if you don't develop the technique, you can be as fit as you want to be and swim 50 sessions a week, if, if that's possible. <laughs> but you you actually won't swim much faster. You'll be really fit in the water and you'll you'll probably bike and, and ride better because you're so fit in the water because it doesn't take much out of you. But you actually won't improve your speed that much by, unless you improve your technique. So you'll get to a point where you'll just be as fast as you can go and as fit as you are. So so the drills are, are absolutely imperative. And, you know, on the podcast, we heard Joe Friel say, if you can't swim under 130, you shouldn't be doing any intervals. Well, I really like that theory, but I still think you need to do intervals to improve your fitness. So, and I think Joe is assuming that most of the triathletes are doing four swim sessions a week mm. or three. Mm-hmm. So we're we're down to the bare minimum of two. And I do advise people to add an extra, extra swim if you've got time. Um, and, you know, I really push that. If, you, if you've got the time to do it, do the third swim. Uh, one swim a week is, is barely adequate. Two swims is, is just enough. Three swims will actually help you, help your fitness
0: incredibly. So the two would, you would say, is more to maintain fitness and, and improve your
1: technique. Uh, technique. Yeah. Yep. So we're really, we're really honing in on that. And we have to also say this depends on what part of the season you're in. Um, and for the majority of swimmers, um, and I'm talking about the poor swimmers. I'm not talking about the really good elite swimmers in triathlon. And in age groups, there could be unbelievably good swimmers in, in age group. And there might be very average riders and runners, but they're fantastic swimmers. I'm not talking about these people. I'm talking about the everyday average swimmer who's really struggling, has not had a lot of background in swimming, um, hasn't had club swimming, hasn't had coaching um, for technique at an early age. The, the, the kids who have been um, coached from early age in squad swimming are going to be the best swimmers for their whole whole life because they've really developed a good technique when they're younger it's like learning t- to to read music you'll always remember it forever it's like a language you know once you've done the basics in language you'll be able to pick it up when you just uh, start to recall it when you for example go to japan and you you, you know, I remember i remember all these words now and it might take you 2 or 3 days but it's there in your memory so this is the same with swimming it's in your memory um, your stroke is in your memory and it will go back to the feel once you get some fitness. So, so it's important that you, you maintain that two sessions a week. Um, and during the season, there'll be periods where it's the middle of winter and there's no races and you might get some athletes saying, I'm not going to swim this winter. And I'm going to say, that is really bad advice. You need to be trying to maintain the swimming and, and almost forget the intervals. During this period where there's no races, just do drills. Um, Do 2Ks of drills, 1,500 meters of drills, 1K of drills. I know it's an effort to go to the pool and spend 15 minutes swimming and then leave, but it's still going to be more benefit than doing nothing. Um, You're not going to improve your fitness during this period, but if you've got the time to do the two sessions all the way through the year, the off season is the time to do 75% drills, 25% intervals during the season, mm. if you're a bad swimmer, you probably still need to do 75% drills mm. and 25% intervals. Mm. But if you're a competent mid-pack swimmer during the season when the races are on, I still think the intervals is 50-50. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're a you know, really elite swimmer, you still need to do drills, no matter how good you are, because you want to improve your technique. Mm-hmm. So it should be 25-75. That's mm-hmm. the way I would, I would approach it. Mm-hmm.
0: And the other session, if we're we're going to say it's just two, um, that needs to be a completely different session.
1: Absolutely. And again, there's two choices here, but the actual session needs to be the same. The two choices are, do you do it indoor or outdoor? And I'm really adamant that during summer, you need to be doing one of those sessions outdoor. And if you don't live near the ocean or a lake, then you don't have any option but to do it indoor. And the only time you get to do it outdoor is in a race, you need to go at some stage, and make an effort to drive to the nearest ocean or lake to actually practice before your main event. And there are lots of people who live miles away from those choices, so it's a big effort to go. But the people who are fortunate enough to live by the bay, you should be doing your extra session should be in, in the ocean. Um, and now I live near a lake, which is only you know, 10-minute drive, um, and I do my sessions there. The ocean's 50-minute drive. So I'm just going to go to the lake uh, and do it there. And during summer, that's, that's not an issue. Mm. Um, during winter, it's a big issue because I don't like the cold. Mm. So um, I'm going to do those sessions in the pool. Um, but, but the session itself is the same. It's an endurance session where we need to, just like running and riding, you need to build your endurance. And if you don't have an ability to sustain form over a 400 or an 800 or a 1K, then you're just going to be good for 200 and then you're going to need to rest and you know, I kind of found that out myself when I started doing the last couple of um, uh, aqua bike sessions where it's a swim and and bike Um, where I was really good in the pool for for 400 and 250s and 200s and 150s but when I had to swim 1500 straight I really battled Mm. Um, got really tired Um, couldn't hold my form so talking about doing short sprints holding form you also need to teach your body to be able to swim 5 by 400 or 4 by 500 or, um, you know, two 600s plus your warm-up and cool-down plus your drills or or two 1Ks um, when you're getting fitter. Um, so as, as your fitness builds, you, you need to push your endurance out um, um, and progress that. Don't start with, you know, a straight 1500 mm-hmm. unless you're doing a time trial to see what your pace is. Um, and then you should need to start with you know a couple of four hundreds and build it up to six hundreds, eight hundreds, one ks, and that is going to help you come race day to be able to be much more relaxed for the entire uh, fifteen hundred meter or nineteen hundred meter or if you're doing an Ironman three point eight k. So you do need to do endurance swimming, mm-hmm. um, but um, it has to have drills in it as well. And if you if you I see people only doing ocean swims during the summer season. Where's their drills? Mm. Are they doing the drills in the ocean? Great if they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if they're not, they need to do a session where they're doing drills. Yeah. So, so that would be my advice as a package for people who are actually swimming.
0: Yeah, my only comment to add to that is uh, I have done drills in the ocean and in the pool and it is just much more convenient in the pool. Um, it's it's funny carrying your snorkel and your flippers and your, your, your pool boy boil in the, in the open water. It just doesn't, uh, you can do it, but I think uh, me personally, I would only do drills in the pool and I'd rather just do the endurance efforts out in the open water. Uh, so moving on to the running then, um, analyzing our uh, athlete running improvement, we have, probably narrowed down three key standout sessions and it has to be said that these aren't the only sessions you should do Uh, but again use the term bang for your buck these are three key standout sessions that uh, we've really seen time and time again um, our athletes get great improvement from so we're going to go through each of them and the first one uh, and we have mentioned this before but uh, there's just some things we want to note on this and that is hill repeats
1: yeah and uh, without doubt, this is the best session to stop yourself getting injured, number one. But it has, has a risk about it as well. Um, and number two, um, you don't feel like uh, you're actually flogging yourself. Yet you're still getting the benefit of muscular strength, which is what triathlon running is. Let's it, it's, you know, just really hone in on what is the triathlon race. It is an endurance race, and I don't care whether you're doing a sprint, Olympic 70.3 or Ironman, the the time that it takes to do a sprint is an hour for the fast guys and an hour and a half for, you know, anywhere between an hour and a half or an hour 40 for the the age groupers. So if you want to call that, um, you know, a sprint, sprint, (laughs) then um, I look at a sprint as 100 meters. Mm. Um, this This is still an endurance event. Anything, you know, anything more than two minutes is classified as aerobic. Mm. Um, Anything under two minutes is anaerobic. So, so we are, terminology is wrong. We're doing an endurance event uh, event in a sprint triathlon. So, so you need to be strong at the back end of your 5k run in a sprint, 10k in an Olympic, et cetera, et cetera, half marathon, marathon. You want to be strong. So, so what are the sessions that are going to make us strong? And that is making sure that you've got strong legs that you can hold the pace for for the entire um, start to finish and not fade. The key to, to being a good triathlete runner is not fading, holding the same pace from start to finish. And we'll talk about that in the progressive fast run um, <laughs> later on, but, <laughs> but we really need to, to understand that um, if we've got a good, strong, stable, muscular, skeletal system that is really used to running downhill and uphill, Um, with some intensity and then without the intensity and we're talking about hill repeats with intensity, this is really going to help you um, be able to run the pace you want to run in in your race and hold the the pace from start to finish.
0: And we just have to say it it is a great session but that doesn't mean you do hill repeats 52 weeks of the year.
1: So it is really based around where you are in your program Um, and, you know, in the off-season when you're trying to maintain aerobic fitness and, and concentrate on other things that, that are, uh, really need attention, this is not the time to be doing hard hill repeats um, when there's no triathlon. You, you want to have this session uh, as your speed work session and it doesn't even make sense when you're doing a speed work session uphill because you're not actually running fast. Mm. Uh, the hill is stopping you from running you're fast. You know, if you're a 30-minute 10K runner, you'll be doing your speed session at 250-minute K pace per kilometre. Mm-hmm. If you're a 40-minute, you're doing it at 4K. If you're a 50-minute 10K runner, you're doing it at 5-minute mm-hmm. K pace. So on these hill repeats, you could possibly be a 40-minute K uh, 10K runner and still not really be running faster than 450-5-minute mm-hmm. K pace, but your normalised power would probably show you Pace, sorry, you know, pace, pace, yeah. pace yeah. will show you that you're running, you know, probably 410 or 350 pace. Yep. So that's the bang for your buck. You're actually, um, you know, Training Peaks is really good at that, giving you a, an actual example of what the pace is had you been running on the flat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really good point to, for people to understand. The time and place to do this um, is when you're trying to um, get your speed work up without running flat out and, you know, that's when we get injured. So, this is why this is such a great session because um, you can actually not run that fast and still get the same value.
0: Definitely. The second key session and we have mentioned this session before but there's two factors that we haven't really talked about to do with this session that need to be said. So, the session itself is the endurance run in the hills. So, doing, going to the hills, going to trail running and doing some endurance but, uh, again, it could be really slow pace uh, in the hills.
1: Yep, and just before we left the, 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 the hill intervals, um, you don't just start doing them as a, as a new runner. You have, to, you have to have done a fair bit of running before you start to do any hill repeats. Mm-hmm. That's no different that you should be doing that before you do speed work on the flat. Mm-hmm. So that's the first point for the undulating uh, aerobic endurance run. You just don't start going into the hills for your first long you know, run. Yeah. Long run, it, You need to build some sort of base uh, and you get that by running on a course that's reasonably flat to start with and then you gradually include some undulations as you develop more strength and, and, and basically conditioning, um, muscular and stabil- uh, skeletal conditioning. To withstand the fact that you can run up and down hills. So don't start your training program in the, the hills to start with. That is the first thing. Mm-hmm. You need to get some form in your body on the flats and then gradually introduce over months, we're talking, and possibly years before you can actually run the hills properly. Um, and I don't mean run them fast, mm-hmm. I mean run them without injuring yourself. Mm-hmm. And because it is very difficult. Um, harsh on the body to, you know, to run up and down hills.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, both up and down are equally as tough on each other. And we recently had um, a private coaching call for our Travelo athletes with uh, Dane Verway from the Run Culture podcast. And he's actually been on our podcast as a guest, but he's an elite marathon runner and a physio. And he spoke about um, this self awareness that you need to have about uh, how you're coping with an endurance run in the hills or and a long run in the hills. And uh, he put it really succinctly. He just said that. Um, any new change on the body, uh, it needs to, you need to give the body time to adapt to that change. You need to give your muscle fibres, your bones, tendons, ligaments time to adapt to that change. And so, if you are a fresh runner and you're building up your first long run, you can't go and do 60 or 90 minutes of a long run when you haven't done one before, plus do that in the hills with even more stimulus of up and down. You're just adding way too many things to the body to try and cope with and most likely you lead, lead to injury. So, this is the point you're making that uh, it's almost like adding one stimulus at a time. First, it's just the length. Just get the length right and build the length up. And then once you've got the length right, you can start to include some modulations. But it can't be um, you know, something just 90 minutes of uphill and downhill. You know, it's it's got to be a little bit of flat with a little bit of uphill and downhill. And uh, these are just examples of the kind of progression you need to be thinking about and be uh, self-aware of.
1: Yeah, the load. That's what you've got to consider the whole time. What load are you giving your body? Um, and a lot of the, the people we coach, you know, I've made them run their endurance run on the flat for some for six months, some for a year before I'm saying now you need to do hills, mm. and that might not be obvious to them, but it's it's been a progression. Um, and some people can cope with it, you know, relatively quick. Everybody adapts quicker uh, at their own pace, not quicker. Everybody adapts at their own pace, and you need to be able to understand how the loads affecting that person and. If they're coping with it, then you can continue to introduce it quicker than another athlete who's not coping with the load. And the minute you start to get uh, serious pain, that's when you're overdoing it and the load is too much. You're not adapting.
0: But the goal should be to get in the hills because once you get in there, it is such a valuable session and we just see uh, just... Across the board, such improvement with athletes that can consistently get this uh, endurance uh, run in undulating terrain or in real hilly terrain such as uh, trail running, you know, really, really aggressive trail
1: running. you think about it, when you're running around the suburbs, you're running mainly on, uh, you might be running on a, a trail that's been man- man-made. Uh, I'm thinking about in Melbourne, there's the Albert Park
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's, uh, it's a soft sand mm-hmm. and it's really beautiful surface, flat beautiful surface and then you've got the next level is a footpath mm. and then the next level is um, a bitumen road mm. that you might be running on or even uh, a golf course r- on the grass so they are the variations of, of surface that you're going to run on and and they're all reasonably even and flat so every time you plant your foot it's quite reliable that it's going to be the same angle that you're landing on but if you're in the hills on a trail where the angle of the trails, you know, it's literally something that, that foxes have been running on um, and it's not wide, it's not beautifully manicured, it's got tree roots. Every step you put down, your foot's landing on a different angle. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about your tendons and muscles, every time they land, being affected differently. Mm-hmm. And it, that runs right up your leg, through your quad, through your hamstring, through your glutes, through your back. So every step, this, it, it's not the the speed of the, the endurance run, it's, the, it's the, the conditioning your body gets from step after step after step of different angles and that is the key to this run. And then all of a sudden you're doing that step uphill and now you're doing it downhill. Mm. So you've done a little bit of on the flat where it's a different landing uh, position every step and now you're doing it up and downhill and downhill all of a sudden, you know the front of the, your quads are screaming. When you're running uphill, your glutes are screaming. So you are giving this well balanced um, without running fast it's it's almost like cheating cheating training mm-hmm, to me it's mm-hmm. go do these hills on as as really you know undulating terrain that you can find that's got different landing surfaces you have to be very careful not to twist your ankle in these situations but but once you're across your landing and understanding the peripheral <laughs> of what you're doing it is a fantastic session
0: I can tell you, you never actually quite get across it every single run. You have to be watching your feet and that is something that a lot of people who aren't used to trail running uh, get wrong is that they don't, they don't concentrate and you just have to be concentrating because every step is something different. No matter how well you know the trails, uh, I've been caught out many times, just lack of concentration and ankle goes. So You're over on
1: your back before you know it. I, I can't, I've done 50 ankles up and... The trail runs over the 20 years. I can't even think about it because it, it, it <laughs> yeah. does my head in.
0: I will say though, you know, I grew up running the, the trails around home here. And um, even though I've had as much experience as you could get, you know, growing up, my whole life running them, if I go a period without running in the hills, when I go back, I'm immediate doms. You know, the next few days, I'm as sore as ever. So, uh, you, you just have to be aware that, you know, even for myself with, with that much experience, I have to be careful not to just suddenly jump back into a 90-minute long run in the hills. Because uh, my body actually won't cope with it unless I like, build it up again myself.
1: So. Yeah, the, the, the point we're making here is you, know, you have to give yourself time to ad- adapt um, and you know, adaptation is the key. You can't go and do 90 minutes in the hill straight away. You, you've got to start with 45 or 50 um, as long as you've been running endurance runs mm-hmm. for over that time. You know? mm-hmm. So that is the key to this.
0: The third major session and this is a really exciting one uh, that we've you never know, I think really spoken about on the podcast. It's a bit of a Trivelo secret but it's this race ready uh, half marathon run that you get the athletes to do and and this uh, top run that we're going to explain is just really a game changer in a lot of athletes in getting ready especially for a 70.3 and even um, an Ironman and even an Olympic distance because it gives you such good fitness So, but it really is a perfect session for a half Ironman but it is applicable to uh, all distances and Really, it's a session that's preparing your body um, for that exact distance in a, in a really applicable way.
1: Yeah, it's a quite a, it's a simple, simple training session, but it has to be done at the right time, and it's, so that's quite complicated. Um, and I don't want don't to confuse the listeners here, but th- the purpose of this session is to make sure that what you experience in this run where we, we're trying to get you race ready is what you're going to feel on race day is similar to in this run. So the only way to do that and for me to explain that is when you're in race in the middle of a triathlon, whether you're doing a 70.3 or a 10K or a marathon, the feeling of the first few K compared to the feeling of the last few K and the middle few K, let's just take half marathon. The 6K feeling from one to six generally feels quite normal um, if you've run the first K properly, which (laughs) is the slowest K, and then you, you find your legs. And then, because you've tapered for this race and it's a seventy point three, you should feel really good. Let's just pick four minutes thirty as your race pace for this race. So four thirty feels almost like five minute K pace from all the training you've been doing, and you're almost getting cocky. And I've got this. And then when you get to ten to twelve to thirteen K, that four thirty pace feels like four thirty. It feels real. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to fourteen. 15, 16, 17, it feels like four-minute K pace, yet you're still running 4.30. That's the feeling you get. And then 17 to 20, to hold 4.30, it feels like 3.30 pace (laughs) because the fatigue of the 90K and the swim and the previous 17K of running is now taking its toll.
0: That's if you're good enough to hold 4.30 from. Most people they're they're looking down and they're going shit. I'm running five minutes pace or five thirty pace and it still feels like four thirty.
1: Yep. So so get that get that thought in your brain that that the feeling of the pace is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So you're still running four thirty, but it feels completely different at sixteen mm-hmm. k compared to six k or four k. Mm-hmm. So in this fast finish run, we are trying to teach your brain to run faster. We want you to do that. We don't expect that to happen in the race. That's not what's going to happen in the race. We want you to run the same pace from start to finish in the race. Mm-hmm. But, but by running faster from start to finish in training, teaches your body to feel, say, say you're trying to run 4.30 pace in this fast finish run, um, you might start at 5-minute K pace because that's what it feels like in the first one yeah. to six. Yeah. And then your next 4K might be 4.40 pace. And then in this fast finish run, the next 4K might be 4.28, and then the next 3K might be 4.20, and then 4 minute K pays for the next two, and then the last three is 3.50. <laughs> there is ex- exactly what I explained, the feeling you'll get when you come to race day. So we're doing this experience in our training session so that when the race comes, your body is used to it. It's, it's, it's experienced it already, and it can cope. It's adapted. And it's practiced. Mm -hmm. So this is an unbelievably valuable session Mm -hmm. in teaching your body to experience the feelings it's going to get come race day. A lot of the times I do it in different periods of the season. Sometimes I do it after a really hard endurance day so that you are actually going to feel what it's like in the middle of a triathlon Mm -hmm. if you're doing an Ironman. The day before, if you've done maybe a four or five hour ride, undulating hilly ride, and you go and do this fast finish run, not fresh. And you get to feel how hard it is running tired mm-hmm. in this fast finish run. Mm-hmm. And this is a game changer run because come race day, you go, oh, that fast finish run, that, that is exactly what happened to me on the day. And I was able to hold my pace from start to finish. And, and it's, it's a really great feeling.
0: For, um, for most people, that's quite a technical um Uh, aspect and benefit of why it's good Uh, but there are also some really fundamental uh, simple reasons why it's good as well and one is that you are practicing running the distance of the race fast you're practicing running a half marathon fast which most people would make the mistake of not doing before their race Uh, you need to see what kind of time you can do for a half marathon so that you are one showing yourself that you can do it and you need to do it multiple times what a confidence builder it is Mm -hmm. Um, and that was the, yeah, the next point is it uh, gives you confidence as to what pace you can predict and, and have as your race plan uh, to actually hit the day on.
1: Yeah. And that's why it's important not to do it fresh, which is what I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, sometimes I put a ride in front of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes I put a big ride the day before and it depends on where you are and what race you're actually uh, going for. Um, so it is in the program and it's not done very often because it's very taxing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's almost like doing do an actual half marathon race.
0: It's, it is a really big mistake that we can't, we can't um, mention enough of and that is that you can't be rocking up to your 70.3 without running a half marathon beforehand, um, without running one at, at your goal race pace to, to see how you'll go. And uh, I had a friend who I was helping uh, run his first half marathon and we built up his endurance run to get to the point where he eventually did one of these runs and he was shocked that he was going to do a half marathon in training because uh, in his head, it was quite a big objective to, you know, to complete the half marathon and he wasn't going for um, any elite time. He just wanted to get through it and prove to himself that he could do it um, and he couldn't, he, he couldn't really comprehend why he was doing it in training. Um, but doing it in training gave him so much confidence on the day and he ended up uh, not making the mistake of blowing up in that last 5K and he, he puts it down to only because of this, these training sessions he did. Where he understood the feeling at the back end, and he didn't—he knew not to uh, push himself too hard and get that really wrong feeling at the end.
1: Yeah, it's a really good valid point. And uh, and you know, the longer the endurance race, such as a marathon, you know, you can't be doing that. You know, this type of run mm-hmm. for a marathon—that's that's just not what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you would you would try to run in your training close to the time you're going to experience on race day. At mm-hmm. you know, at least a few times um uh, in your easy slow endurance run and and that's an undulating run and you might you might only get 20k and say your PB for a triathlon marathon is 4 hours if you've done 20k and it's taking you 4 hours on that hilly run that's perfect mm-hmm. it's not the distance that matters it's the time and if you can run the time that you're going to do on race day that's what we're trying to mm-hmm. trying to um, emphasize here
0: yeah absolutely that is a good way to finish. Uh, that is three key running sessions that you can really start incorporating into your program. Um, and again, there's a lot of caveats that we mentioned. And you've got to be really self-aware and um, you know, don't take these sessions lightly. Don't just jump into them. Really have a think about um, how you could utilize them in your program. But that is a good way to finish for this episode. Thank you very much as always for listening and we'll see you on the next one.